All right, we're going to start off in John, John chapter 8, verse 31 to 36, and then we're going to read Acts 13, verse 38 to 39. That's John chapter 8, 31 to 36, and Acts chapter 13, verse 38 to 39. Before we read, I'm going to pray. Father, we just honor you. Again, we thank you for your presence amongst us. We thank you that you are Emmanuel, that you are God with us. We thank you for the Spirit of Christ that is present in this place, Lord. And Lord, we pray, as Paul prayed, that through the Spirit of Christ, that you'd grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you'd open the eyes of our understanding to know you better. Father, I thank you that your word says that the unfolding of your word brings light, that it gives understanding. And Father, I thank you that there's a daily bread, there's a manna that you have for us this day, and so, Lord, I thank you that we were to be those who hear and receive, hear and accept truth, and that truth would bring forth the harvest, 30, 60, and 100-fold, in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, John chapter 8, verse 31 to 36, says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I'll read that again. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Acts chapter 13, verse 38 to 39. Let it be known to you, to you therefore, brothers, that this man, forgiveness, through this man, talking about Jesus, through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. I'll read verse nine again. And by him, Jesus Christ, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And so these are just two scriptures that talk about freedom in Christ. We know 2 Corinthians chapter three, another famous one where it says, where the, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So freedom is a trademark of the gospel. It's a trademark of our Christian walk. First of all, we're freed from religion, right? We're freed from the, the list of the 10 commandments. We're freed from the list of, you know, we go to the temple and we do the sacrifice and we do this and we do 50 prayers like this and you kneel down and you stand up and you do this and do that. We're freed from that religious, almost organizational structure where our Christian walk, our Christianity as a newborn believer is about relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not longer a list about don't do this, don't do that, but it's about how can I love you? How can I please you? How can I walk out this relationship with you and bring joy to your life? So there's freedom from religion. You know, we can shout, we can sing, we can clap our hands. Back in the day, people used to run around in this building. We don't do that anymore for some reason. <laughs> I think Carol used to start it, it was like the, the, the runaround train, You're like, Aah! and they fall on the floor, you know? So there's a, there's a freedom in Christ, a freedom of expression, where we're not bound by religion. 
The second thing that we experience freedom in is that there's this amazing peace that we have. There's amazing, there's amazing joy that we can find where our freedom is not only external, but the freedom in Christ is internal. You know, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, Jesus says, he says, come to me all ye, oh, that sounds like King James. Come to me all you who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my, yoke, my burden is light. And so, you know, we can go through this world and we can face the pressures and the circumstances of this world where it seeks to weigh us down. It seeks to oppress us. You know, we've got exams and we've got this and this person doesn't like me. And it's all these pressures coming from the outside affecting our emotions. But in Christ, we have available to us a peace where the Bible says that surpasses understanding. We have a joy inexpressible the Bible says. So no matter what's going on around us, I can experience freedom inside of me. I can be a, a man in jail, serving a sentence, a lifetime sentence in jail. I externally, I'm jailed up. Externally, I'm bound. But if I'm born again, I'm in a place of freedom in my heart. No matter what the circumstance looks like, I have peace. I have joy. I can be serving a, it's crazy. You can be serving a lifetime sentence and be the happiest person ever because joy surpasses circumstances. Happiness is directly correlated to our circumstance, but joy over, just overrides all of that. It's not, it doesn't count on your circumstance. Does that make sense to you? We know that there's, there's freedom from sickness, freedom from torments. Probably one of the famous scriptures, Luke chapter 13. Verse 10 to 13, where there's a, there's a story of a woman and she said, the Bible says that she's been bent over like this for 18 years. And Jesus comes to her and he says, he says, be freed of your disability. And in a moment, in an instant, she goes like this. From 18 years like this, she goes like this. And she stands up straight. There's freedom from torment. There's freedom from sickness. There's freedom from disability. This is the freedom that the gospel offers, that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. But there's another thing that God wants us to be free from, and we see it in the context of these two verses, especially in John chapter 8. And I want to read it again to see the context of it. It says this in verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house Forever, the sun remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that, oh, sorry, then verse 34, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Let me read verse 34 again. Truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And so the freedom Jesus is talking about in John chapter eight is freedom from sin. We know we've been forgiven of sin, right? We just read it in Acts chapter 18, verse 38. Uh, I think it's Colossians 1, verse 14. It says, in, by His blood, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. So when we come to this place of being born again, this place of salvation, the Bible tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ washes us. It cleanses us and God forgives us of our sin. We just read it in Psalm 103. It says, He removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. And no longer am I guilty 
before the Father. No longer am I, uh, am, am I ashamed before the Father, but He looks at me, and we know this well, that He looks at me and He calls me righteous. He looks at me and He calls me justified. That word justified being just as if I never sinned. So when I come to that born again experience, no matter what I did, you can think of the most heinous crime. God forgives it. When that person comes to a place of repentance, when that person comes to a place uh, uh, to the cross to receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, all those sins are washed away in a moment. And God forgives. But what Jesus is saying here is that there's more than forgiveness. Jesus didn't just die on the cross so that we would be stuck in this perpetual cycle of sin and forgiveness. I call it the, the washing machine Christian. Throughout the week we go, we get in the world, we get muddy, we get dirty, we come to church, the washing machine on Sunday. Wash, rinse, repeat. <laughs> and we go out of the world, and we get dirty again. It's like, oh, again, I messed up again. I come to church, put myself in the washing machine. Wash, rinse, repeat. And week by week, we, we're stuck in the cycle of sin, forgive. Sin, forgive. Sin, forgive. And he forgives every time. But that's not God's best. Jesus didn't just die on the cross that we would get stuck in this washing machine of sin and forgiveness, but He died to empower us to be free from sin. And that's what, in John chapter 8, that word free, it, it means this. It means to be released from bondage, to be removed from the restrictions of sin. See, the goal of the cross was not only that we would be forgiven of sin, but that there would be freedom from sin. When you were unsaved, you were bound to sin. Jesus says here, he says you were a slave to sin. Sin was your master. Sin told us what to do. But what Jesus tells us is that we are freed from the power of sin. And so there's another voice, another narrative at work against the freedom that Christ brings. And it's the, the world's concept, the world's manifesto of what freedom looks like. Jesus says, true freedom is freedom from sin, but the world says that true freedom is freedom to sin. It's a very big difference. I'll read again. Freedom in Christ is freedom from sin, but the world says that true freedom is freedom to sin. And so the unbeliever out there in the road today, looking at you go into the church, shame. 
they're going to listen to their rules of, can't do this, can't do that. And they will tell you that relationship with Jesus is bondage, that it's restrictive, that he's trying to spoil your fun, that you can't, you can't live your life to the fullest, that there's true freedom. Remember that whole hippie movement, the, the, the whole thing, the 70s, you know, just do whatever you want, sleep around with whoever you want, get, just get wasted, you know, take as much drugs as you want. That's real freedom. I don't know if you've ever, I'm sure you have. When they try to trap an animal, right? They'll put like, like a bear or a lion or a tiger or something. They'll put a big, chunky piece of meat in a cage. And they'll cover up the cage so the animal can't see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Smell something good. And so the animal would make its way into the cage take the meat. As soon as he pulls it, whoosh, behind him, the door of the cage closes. That's what freedom of the world really does. It's actually an illusion. It's actually a trap. No matter how the world packages it, it cannot offer you freedom. Sin will never lead to freedom. Ever. It's an illusion. I don't know what the enemy has been tempting you with this week, but don't give in. It's a trap. Every time, it's a trap. No matter how big or how small you think the sin is, I guarantee you, you're going to go inside, you think it looks good, it smells good, wow, this tastes really great, you turn around and you're stuck. And so the world out there, they are crying out for liberty because they're stuck in this cage and they can't get out. Only Jesus Christ can liberate. Only Jesus Christ can free. And so just like an animal gets caged in, so mankind gets caged in by sin. And we're gonna look at what what does this cage look like? What is it in, in total contrast to the freedom that Jesus Christ brings? What does sin do? How does it bring bondage? And how does it bring, bring just like, imprisonment to mankind. Well, in Isaiah 59 verse two, it says this, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. I read again, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And I wanna read Genesis chapter three, verse eight to 10. It says this, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. 
But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Man was made for fellowship with God. That's why you're here on the earth. God wants it to be intimate with you. God wants to commune with you. God wants to love you. He wants to be a father to his children. And see, we see what sin did was before sin, we know Adam and Eve walked with God. They fellowshiped with God. And here God comes again down to the garden to, to, to fellowship with man. He's, oh, he's like, yeah, this is gonna be such a good day. I'm gonna go see Adam and I'm gonna go see Eve and we're gonna spend time together. I'm gonna show them some stuff. And he goes down to the garden, but Adam is hiding. Why? Because in the previous verses, he's been deceived by the serpent and he's eaten of the tree. He's, he's disobeyed God. He's allowed sin to come into his life. He's allowed sin to come into Eve's life, into mankind. And what sin did in that moment, it created this invisible barrier where Adam now seeks to hide from God. And so he, he puts up this barrier and that barrier is called shame. And he, so God comes to look for him and says, Adam, where are you? I wanna talk, I wanna, I wanna show you some things. I wanna look you in your face and see how beautiful you are. And Adam's hiding behind this barrier of shame. And that's what sin does to the believer. We know for the unbeliever that, 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 that sin through Adam, it separated them from God through eternal life. But for the believer, it still applies. In this way, that when we sin, shame comes. All of us can put up our hand and say we've experienced that. We messed up in some way or another and it's like now we know it's time to read our Bible. We, we, it's time to come to church and we just can't look God in the eye because we know we, we're walking in willful sin. We know we're walking in disobedience and, and God's coming down. He's saying, Jabin, where are you? Jabin, I've come to love on you. I've come to commune with you. I've come to, to be in fellowship with you. I wanna love you. I wanna show you some things. That we put up this barrier of shame. It's like, oh, oh not today, Lord. I, I just did this thing. And the very, the very purpose for which we were created, now the sin, this cage, takes us away from that. The very essence, it's, it's how man was meant to function. It's how, you know that we, we sing that song, you are the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. He's the very essence of our being and we need him. We need to breathe him in. We need to behold him. We need to be loved by him. It's, it's, it's how, we, how we work. We, our, our very breath relies on him. But sin separates me from him because it brings shame and it brings condemnation. And I can't look him in the eye. But the thing is, he doesn't hide. He doesn't run, he still pursues, he still calls out. 
But if I'm walking in, in willful sin and deliberate sin, I'm separating myself from Him. And that's the trap. That's the seduction. It's not about tasting the meat. It's the consequences of eating the meat in the cage. That's what the world is after. That's what the enemy is after. He wants to kill your intimacy with God. Because it starts, I can't read my Bible. I'm too guilty. I can't raise my hands. Or next week, I can't even go to church. I won't even read this Bible anymore because I'm just not worthy enough. I just feel so shameful for what I did. And I close the, page, close the pages to my relationship with God. And three months down the line, I haven't read my Bible and I haven't gone to church. Don't let sin trip you up. And so here we see the severity of sin why it's such a big deal to God. You know, we, we read the, like, the Romans 8, I think, or Romans 7, the wages of sin is death, and it's kind of been so made so like religious and so like, Rrr. but it's not. It's, we see that we, when we grasp the, 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 the importance of why God is saying it, why through from Genesis to Revelation, He, he highlights the severity of sin because it is severe. It's not a game. It's not something to play with. I just mentioned in our Romans chapter six, verse 23, that's where it is. It says, the wages of sin is death. But I wanna read another passage of scripture. It's in James chapter one, verse 13 to 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Listen to verse 15. Then when desire, then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I'll read again. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. James is writing to the believer. He's writing to us, warning us of the consequences, the dangers of sin. And the bottom line is this, is that sin always leads to death. No matter how you, you can turn it like this, put it upside down, put it, open it up with your screwdriver, look inside, see how it works, put it back together, it'll always lead to death. Death in your relationships, death in your destiny. I'm not talking about dying like... Death to your emotional and your mental well-being, even death to your body. In John 10, verse one, it says this. Truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, 
that man is a thief and a robber. Sin is the way through which the thief and the robber gains access. You may have heard this before, that sin is an open door. And so when I, when I willfully sin, when I'm willfully disobedient to, to what God is commanding me in His Word, commanding me through His Spirit, I put myself in a place of vulnerability. I put myself in a place of vulnerability. I put, my place, I put myself in a place where it's like, I'm going to sleep at night, but instead of locking the door, I open all the doors, I open all the windows, I make sure the gate by the, door, or by the street is open, and then I go to sleep. And I expect to be safe and wake up in the morning and my kids are gonna be fine and all my furniture is still gonna be there. That's how, that's how, how silly we get. We think, oh, I'm just gonna do this, just like one thing is fine. But it's actually not fine because you're opening the doors. You're opening the windows for the thief to come. And there's an example of this. In John chapter five, verse two to nine, I'll read it for you. It says, now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an in, invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, sir, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Amazing miracle. Go down to verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And so we see the reason why this man was sick is that he had opened the door through sin. He had opened the windows for the thief and the robber to bring death and destruction in his life. And so not only did Jesus heal him of that, but he had to, to, to point out to him the severity and the vulnerability that he was putting himself in through a lifestyle of sin. And so Jesus would say to him, stop doing that because you're gonna get sick again. And maybe even something worse than that will happen to you. The world's freedom is a trap meant to bring destruction. And I'll say it again, I don't know what you're being tempted with this week. I don't know what you're wrestling with. Make an enlightened decision today. Not to take the bait. Because I guarantee you it's a trap that's gonna bring bondage and it's gonna bring death. Jesus' freedom is very different. And so what Jesus is pointing out here 
think I said it earlier, when, when you're unsaved, you, it's like what well, Jesus said it, you're a slave to sin. Sin is your master. In Romans chapter seven, verse 19 to 20, Paul referencing his old life, he says, those things that I wanna do, you know, I do not do, and the things that I don't wanna do, I do. And he makes this conclusion and says, but it's not me, it's sin inside of me that's doing its work. In Ephesians chapter two, verse one to three, I'll read that one. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. So when we were unsaved, it's like we couldn't help but not go for the meat in the cage. It's like, like as a Christian, you look at sinners and you go, how can you do that? It's like, it's, it's the nature of an unbeliever is sin. So we shouldn't be surprised when they do sinful things. You can't expect an unbeliever, you know, to live holy, to live righteous, to, to live a pure life. It's impossible for the unbeliever. Why? Because what the Bible says, they are a slave to a master. Sin is master over them and they cannot do anything to change it. Apart from Christ, sin dictates our decisions and actions. We are bound to its commands. But in Christ, the moment we are born again, we are released from the mastery of sin. I'll say it again. In Christ, the moment we are born again, we are released from the mastery of sin. Romans chapter six gives more voice to that. I wanna read verse five to 11. It says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. And listen to this, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The moment of salvation, we call it being born again. And that's right. But it's also a point of dying. It's a point of death. It's a funeral and a birth at the same time. And so what Romans is saying here and what Jesus is saying when we are born into this world, we are born with a sinful nature. Like I said, we can't help ourselves but to sin. But when we are born again, that sinful nature, that sinful man, that man who is a slave dies. 
And, I am, and just as Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day, I receive a new life. I receive a new man inside of me who is at liberty against sin. Where before I would run into the cage, I now have an ability I have where, where sin was master over me, I am now master over sin. Sin can no longer dictate my life. No, sin can no longer dictate my actions and my thoughts. I have been given the, the power and the ability of self-control through the grace of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Some translations say a new creature. It says the old has passed away and new things have come. That word creature, it means to, it means to, take, to create something out of nothing. So just as in the beginning when God would speak and like said, let there be trees, that he didn't take twigs and say, let there be trees. And he put them all together and made a tree. Uh, there was nothing and then there was. It's the exact same application here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. When you got born again, it wasn't like an extreme makeover. You know, everyone's watched those programs, right? They take a house, and oh, let's knock down this wall, do that, da 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 da, da. And it, it's the same house on the same property on the same street. It just looks different. That's not what God does to us. He puts an atomic bomb on that house, takes you to another country on another street, and he builds a new one. Nothing to do with the old. And so we must understand that freedom in Christ is a liberation from the mastery of sin. Through freedom in Christ, I am no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. And so those things which we highlighted, how sin brings death, how sin estranges me from God, I don't have to fall victim to that anymore. This is who we are as believers. This is what God has placed inside of us. This is our privilege that we overcome the world. We overcome sin. We overcome temptation. We overcome the enemy. No matter what he throws at me, Jesus has already done everything for me to be victorious. Romans chapter five, verse 17 says, we reign in life through the righteousness and the grace of Jesus Christ. Sitting here this morning as a born again believer, you have the ability to say no to sin. You have the ability to discern the cage, to discern the trap for what it is and to say no and to overcome. That's why there's a, you know, when before you got saved, when sin came knocking on your door, you're like, whoops, open the door, let's go. But now sin comes knocking and now there's this, almost a to and fro. It's like, oh, should I, shouldn't I? There's a resistance. Why? Because it's not who you are anymore. You're no longer a sinner. Probably the stupidest thing the church ever says was, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Well, which one are you? Are you a sinner or are you saved by grace? Because you can't be both. You are no longer a slave to sin. You sitting here this morning, you are not a sinner. 
You are the righteousness of God. That sinful man, that sinful woman is dead. Dead, dead, dead. Dead some more. It's like as dead as anything could ever be. And so yeah, if we read on in Romans chapter six, verse 12, Paul continues to write, says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And so whereas before in Christ, there was this, there was this drive inside of me, this, 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 this force inside of me that would push me to sin. And I would try and resist it. And, and I said, no, I don't want you, I don't want you. But every time I will just give into it because there was this force pushing me into it. But now in Christ Jesus, now in this freedom, when he says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And, and he says like, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. There's this new force at in, within me. And the Bible says, yeah, it's the force of grace. See, grace is not an excuse to sin. Grace is a divine enablement to overcome. Grace can be described as this. It's God himself leaning into mankind, giving of himself, enabling man to do that which he has asked him to do and to be that which he has asked him to be. I'll say it again. Grace is God himself leaning into mankind, giving of himself, enabling man to do that which he has asked him to do and to be that which he has asked him to be. That's grace. And so sin comes knocking. I see walking through the jungle. I see the cage. Well, I don't see the cage. I see the meat. And grace comes. God comes. And so I'm really, really, really hungry. And that meat is looking really good. And I've, just, I've been thinking about it for a couple of weeks. And like, wow, here it is now. Jeez, how's this perfect alignment? But I know it's wrong. I know it's compromise. But my body is like, ah. In that moment, and this is every single time temptation comes, God comes. And He gives me grace. He enables me to turn my head. He enables me to switch off the computer. He enables me to, to look the other way. He enables me to change my thoughts. Grace does that. And I'm able to walk away from sin. That is freedom. That true freedom is the ability to say no. See, the world will say, take this, this is freedom, but then you take it and you can't say no the next time. That's not freedom. True freedom, freedom in Christ is the ability to say no. In Acts 13, we read earlier, that word free there is different to the word free in John chapter eight. 
John chapter 8 talks about being free from the restrictions, the bondages of sin. In Acts chapter 13, it means to be cleared of all the punishments and the charges related to sin. And so when Jesus makes us free from sin, he does so 1,000%. Not only does he liberate me from this master of sin and give me the ability of self-control through his grace, but he also redeems and he also restores. John chapter five, we just read it. That man was sick because he sinned, right? Did Jesus say to him, okay, um, you can believe in me, but um, if that sickness came because you got hit by a car or something else, yeah, I'd heal you, but you fall under this category of you sinned and now you're sick, therefore you must live with that. That's not what he did, right? He restores even the effect of sin in its entirety. And we've spoken about this a couple of times, but I just wanna bring it to your remembrance. And so whatever penalty sin has brought against you, whatever death or destruction has brought into your life, whether it's your mind, your body, or your marriage, Jesus Christ restores. See, you can sin and maybe you have got sickness from your sin or maybe you have got emotional torment or mental torment from the sin that you've committed or maybe your marriage has broken down and now you're a captive in that place. You're a captive in your mind. You're a captive in your body. You're a captive to your emotions. Jesus comes even to there to liberate and to undo the effects of sin. Talk about the economic freedom fighters. Jesus is the real freedom fighter. It's like he doesn't leave things half, kind of like Judas. He doesn't leave things half undone. He goes full out. He goes all the way and he says, Okay, I'm going to liberate you from your sin and I'm going to do it completely. I'm gonna break its mastery over you. You got this thing in your life. I'm gonna take it away. I'm gonna rip it apart. I'm gonna take you out. I'm gonna put you over here. Completely free. Not even smelling like smoke. This is freedom in Christ. This is freedom in Jesus. This is freedom in truth. And so I don't know what, Sin has done to you. But I do know, as the Bible says, he makes all things new. And so there is restoration available to release you from the captivity that you are in this morning. Whatever that captivity may be.